0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for, for coming for this wonderful opportunity to be together. My name is Margaret Post, for those of you who don't know me, and I direct the Donnellan Office of Community-Based Learning. And we're really excited to welcome Ms. Peachy Myers, who currently serves as the White House Liaison to the Corporation for National and Community Service in Washington, DC. The Corporation for National and Community Service was established in 1993 as a federal agency that would connect Americans of all ages and backgrounds to give back to their communities and to the nation. So its central aim is to build a culture of citizenship, service, and responsibility. We've invited Ms. Myers today to join us for conversations about how our campus's commitment to service, social justice, and vocational discernment fits within the larger national service movement particularly in light of the passage of the 2009 Edward M. Kennedy Serve America Act. This legislation has expanded programs such as AmeriCorps and Learn and Serve, and it also established the Social Innovation Fund, which is a public-private partnership designed to improve our nation's problem-solving infrastructure in low-income communities. And we're really looking forward to hearing from Peachy um, about those programs and about the Serve America Act and how it's impacted the work of the Obama administration. I want to emphasize that we've also invited Ms. Myers here today because of her own story of service and the path that led her from a small town in rural Missouri to the White House and to Washington, D.C. And we're really Looking forward to hearing from you about that journey. So before I turn the podium over to her, I also want to extend a special welcome to a group of student leaders who are here with us today. These dedicated young people were nominated by faculty and administrators to participate in a breakfast round table tomorrow morning with Peachy Myers. Here at Holy Cross, as most of you know, We encourage our students to consider how they are called to live lives of civic and social responsibility. Most especially, we invite our students to explore how, as Frederick Buchner describes it, their deep gladness can meet the world's great hunger. These students that are here with us, and as many of them are on our campus too, they embody a passion for social justice and a steadfast commitment to living out the ideals of a Jesuit education. Ms. Peachy Myers has deep roots in the national service movement. An active leader in her undergraduate studies, Ms. Myers graduated from Vanderbilt University in 2000. From 2000 to 2001 she served as an AmeriCorps VISTA right here in Massachusetts with Massachusetts Campus Compact. She then spent many years working with homeless seniors, families with children, and Hurricane Katrina evacuees on housing, health, and poverty issues. Prior to joining the corporation's staff, Ms. Myers served as the Missouri field director for the Obama campaign. Please join me in welcoming Ms. Peachy Myers.
1: Thank you. I'm just truly honored to be here with you guys today, and You know, no matter how many times I get up to speak in front of groups or small, I still get a little nervous, so bear with me. Um, But as Margaret said, I'm Peachy Myers, and I'm the White House liaison at the Corporation for National and Community Service. And I was asked to come talk with you today about how your school's commitment to shaping active citizens and your own efforts here on campus and in the community fit within the broader context of the national service movement and the Obama administration's focus on civic engagement. And that's actually quite easy to do. I'm going to return to that topic. Um, Stay tuned. And I think that the trickier part for me is uh, what Margaret laid out uh, during her introduction, is sharing with you a little bit about me reflecting on where I've been and, and what I've done over the years, and exploring some of the, the challenges and choices that led me to this particular place at this particular moment in time. So, asking myself that question, how did I come to be here, and more importantly, what does my journey have to do with yours, um, is, is how I kind of crafted this um, this talk. So, I'm very much looking forward to speaking with you and hopefully engaging in a a dialogue afterwards. So I've learned that what moves any of us uh, to to both find and pursue our calling um, is very much bound up in our own personal lives, right? Like that desire to work for the greater good, to serve the public, has everything to do with our own histories, our own hopes, our own fears, our own triumphs, and sometimes even our own sorrows. Um, So that's where I'm gonna start. I'm gonna tell you guys my story. I grew up in a small town in rural Missouri, as Margaret said. Um, My mom was a hospice nurse. She cared for patients in their greatest hour of need at all hours of the night. Uh, She spent her time driving country roads in order to be by their side um, and help ease their pain. My dad was an an engineering professor and he was completely devoted to his students, as well as the many community organizations that he belonged to. My parents truly exemplified generosity and tenacity, and they supported my brother and my sister and me in all of our endeavors. And when I was 13, they divorced. And like any other child of divorce, I spent years struggling, and I struggle still, uh, to, to reconcile their contradictions that are all tangled up and, and rooted deep in me. And I think that my, my coping mechanism uh, became this compulsion almost to excel. And I don't know if, if any of you um, have walked in, in my shoes. It looks like some of you have. <laughs> you know, in, in high school I worked hard to be at the top of my class. I was very active in student government and spent a considerable, a considerable amount of time and energy serving my community. Um, enough time and energy, it turns out, uh, to earn me a spot in the Ingram Scholarship Program at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. The Ingram Scholarship Program, Zach Willett, who is a dear friend of mine, was one of the inaugural Ingram Scholars on campus. That ages you. (laughs) Um, it It was a program designed to support students who would combine their academic and professional pursuits with public service. So graduates were and are expected to use their vocation to make a difference in the world. It wasn't until then, until I was a college student, I was an Ingram scholar, that I became acutely aware of and started to seriously consider some of the really big issues of the day. Uh, I joined my classroom learning with the literacy work that I was doing in public housing and in prisons in Nashville during the school year and also with the um, youth development work that I was doing in the inner cities of Chicago and Milwaukee and Detroit and Boston during my spring breaks and my summers. I began to examine the public policies and the social and economic structures that underlie and perpetuate problems like poverty. And I studied, um, perhaps most importantly to me, the the civil rights movement um, where I marveled at the power of, of ordinary people coming together and strategizing and organizing and rolling up their sleeves and working for change and ultimately altering the course of history. It was at Vanderbilt when I was your age that I began to think about the role I might play in helping to shape lasting solutions to some of our nation's most persistent challenges. When I graduated in 2000, I decided to serve as an AmeriCorps VISTA member. I wanted to be part of that long tradition dating back to the 1960s and the war on poverty of leveraging resources and increasing the capacity of low-income communities to address their most pressing issues. I understand that nearly 10% of Holy Cross students commit to a year of service either through AmeriCorps, Teach for America or the Jesuit Volunteer Corps upon graduation. Is that right? It's impressive. It's wildly impressive, actually. As an AmeriCorps VISTA member, I worked for the Massachusetts Campus Compact. Director is here, Karen Chisholm, um, and several of my colleagues from that uh, time of my life are, are here today as well. But I was I was assigned to the University of Massachusetts, Boston and Bunker Hill Community College, and my job was to work with students and faculty and administrators and staff and community partners, to develop action plans for integrating service learning into the academic curriculum, and also to develop sustainable <coughs> campus community partnerships. And you guys actually have an AmeriCorps VISTA member here on campus who's doing something very similar. And if you don't know Lauren Buckley yet, Lauren, (laughs) you all should know her at some point. But I I do hope that your experience here has been as challenging and and rewarding as mine was 10 years ago. So when my year of service ended, I actually decided to leave Boston and try a new city. I loved Boston. I would have stayed put. I intended to stay put, but as some of... Uh, you who go back to that time in my life remember there was actually a a murder in the apartment building where I lived that left me quite shaken. Um, I no longer felt safe. I was jumpy, always looking over my shoulder. Um, And that perception of my surroundings was seriously tainted enough so that I just simply needed to, to leave. So I flew across the country in late September of 2001 just 10 days after September 11th, actually, to start the next chapter of my life. Um, I vividly remember my dad worrying his heart out over this decision of mine. Where would I land? What would I do? How would I get by? He even started pestering my mom. They were long divorced uh, with early morning anxious phone calls. And I'm sure she was worried about me, too. But she responded to him just by saying, you know, she's 23. If San Francisco doesn't work out for her, she's going to figure it out and do something else. She'll turn around and do something else. So I only had my last AmeriCorps VISTA paycheck to tide me over um, until I found a new job. And as some of you may know, and as Lauren (laughs) certainly knows, that's not much (laughs) at all. So I waited tables at a little pizza place in Fisherman's Wharf, Uh, for a couple of months while I looked for what I was looking for. And I knew that what I was looking for had something to do with homelessness and housing. I started volunteering twice a week with San Francisco's Coalition on Homelessness, uh, visiting shelters and talking with residents about their rights. And I, I got connected with the folks on the ground who were doing the work that I was most interested in. It didn't take long to land a, a job as a direct service provider in a community health clinic in a part of San Francisco called the Tenderline. Does anyone know San Francisco? familiar with it, Zach? And it was, it was there that I worked with over 200 homeless seniors over the co- course of nearly four years, and I befriended um, most of them, all of them, but one in particular holds a special place in my heart, um, a 73-year-old man named Mr. Coots. Mr. Coots had worked hard all his life, never made much money, and he was struggling in San Francisco when I knew him um, to get by on a meager social security check of $453 a month. Market rent for a one-bedroom apartment at that time in San Francisco was over $800. So he was sleeping on a bus. Oh, and I forgot to mention that waiting lists for subsidized housing were years long and still are. So, Mr. Kutz had cleverly mapped out this bus route for himself, and he'd start at one side of the city and travel to the other and back again all night, every night. He had no bathroom, no kitchen, no roof. It was unconscionable, especially since I knew that Mr. Kutz's daily struggles were intimately bound up in political decisions that were being made at the local, state, and national levels. Um, And that's when I decided that I really wanted to learn how to be an effective agent for change in that realm. I also, after nearly four years, felt like I had just done everything I could in that particular position um, to make that corner of the world a little bit more just. So after nearly four years as a direct service provider in San Francisco, I set out for Austin, Texas, uh, where I planned to apply to public policy graduate school. But this was late in the summer of 2005. Do you guys remember what happened at that time? Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. Um, over 15,000 evacuees were sent to Austin in the wake of that storm. And I, I knew I had to be part of that relief effort. Um, so, I, again, I started volunteering with a community-based organization um, and soon was offered a job working with seniors and with families who had quite literally just lost the very little that they had to begin with. As best I could, I helped them develop long-term plans for stability and navigate an incredibly complicated system of care um, just to access limited food and housing and health and education and employment, transportation resources. But I I ended up running up against the same barriers in Austin that I ran up against in San Francisco as a direct service provider. Byzantine bureaucratic processes, interminably long wait lists, the inability to generate both the public and the political will to truly invest in lasting solutions. And simply put, a a failure of imagination. So, again, I realized that I really needed to study public policy. Um, I applied to graduate school at the University of Texas at Austin and enrolled at the LBJ School of Public Affairs there in the fall of 2006. So I wear my burnt orange whenever I can. (laughs) Um, fast forward to the spring of 2007, which was my second semester as a graduate student, um, and you probably know what's coming. That February is still a still relatively unknown a senator from Illinois named Barack Obama decided to run for president of the United States. And despite my experiences in San Francisco and Austin, or rather precisely because of them, I still believe that government could improve people's lives. I also very much believed in the power of a national campaign that would bring people from all walks of life together in their own communities and give them the tools that they needed to identify the most pressing issues in their, in their own neighborhoods and work for change on a local level long after election day. So I went straight to my graduate advisor um, and asked if I could take a leave of absence from school and then I called my dad. I told him about my new plan and, and I remember driving along, I remember exactly where I was on the road as I called him and I just braced myself for a barrage of questions that I wouldn't be able to answer. How are you gonna get a foot in the door? I knew nobody who was campaigning. This was very, very early on. Uh, where will you go? When will you return to school? But after about 30 seconds of silence, you know, a heart- heartbreaking silence on my end, I was just waiting, he cleared his throat and he just simply said, well, Peachy, you've always made decisions from your heart, and they seem to work out for you. I trust that this one will, too. So the rest is history. I joined the campaign early on in the, summer of the very early summer of 2007. I went to South Carolina, uh, one of the first uh, primary states, and I was there for seven months. After that primary, I moved on to several other states during the primary season, and I made my way back to Missouri is where I'm from, and became uh, the state field director during the general election. It's where I wanted to be all, all along. So once that exhilarating and exhausting <laughs> year and a half of 18-hour days, seven days a week, that is absolutely no exaggeration. Once that year and a half ended, um, I planned to go back to Austin and finish school. I still, I do still have a year left. Um, but then I got a call from the White House asking if I would be interested in this position at the Corporation for National and Community Service. And I jumped at the chance to work at this federal agency that's charged with strengthening communities and fostering civic engagement. It's also, as you remember where I got my start ten years ago, as a Massachusetts Campus Compact AmeriCorps VISTA member, I was supported by a grant from the Corporation for National and Community Service. So it was, it was the perfect fit. I notified the University of Texas Packed my bags, rented a U-Haul, and headed to Washington, D.C. You guys are probably wondering um, what exactly the Corporation for National and Community Service is. I know Margaret gave a a brief overview, but um, I'd like to spend just a little bit of time telling you guys about who we are, what we do, our programs, and some of our most recent accomplishments. So I'm just going to refer to it as the corporation, which is kind of weird, but (laughs) that's what we do. So the corporation is an independent federal agency. We're governed by a bipartisan board of directors. We're small compared to most other federal agencies. And we were created in 1993 to connect Americans of all ages and backgrounds with opportunities to serve. At its inception, the corporation was directed by Congress to manage three core programs. So one is AmeriCorps, and that includes the longstanding VISTA program the National Civilian Community Corps, or NCCC, program, and the AmeriCorps State and National Program. I'm going to give you guys just a brief description of each of those. I think it's, it's helpful. So AmeriCorps State and National members serve full or, par, or part-time for a year or during a summer, They and they do direct service. So they're out there, and you guys have seen you know people in AmeriCorps T-shirts, they're out there building affordable homes and running after-school programs and all sorts of activities um, that are designed to meet unmet needs in communities across the country. The um, AmeriCorps VISTA members also serve full-time, and their job in big picture is to create and expand programs that bring low-income individuals and communities out of poverty. Um, But they also leverage resources and strengthen the capacity of, of the organizations or the institutions where they serve. AmeriCorps NCCC members serve in full-time residential um, team-based programs. It's actually an old model from the FDR years. It's based on um, almost a a military operation, but they operate in in five campuses across the country. And they're trained in CPR, first aid, public safety, and they're deployed to special projects within their region. Mostly they're deployed to areas where there's been a natural disaster and they – they really lead in recruiting volunteers and, and managing recovery and relief efforts. So that's AmeriCorps. Um, our second core program is Senior Corps, uh, which includes the Foster Grandparent, RSVP, and Senior Companion programs. And then three is Learn and Serve America, which supports service learning opportunities for students in kindergarten through college. Um, and as You may know service learning or community-based learning is a method of teaching and learning that connects classroom lessons with meaningful service in the community. Um, So in addition to these three core programs, the corporation is also charged with leading some pretty high-profile efforts like the annual Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Service and more recently the 9-11 National Day of Service and President Obama's United We Serve initiative. So it's been an extraordinary year for service and volunteering. Um, And what I'd I'd like to do now is just highlight four of what I think are our finest accomplishments. We just put together this long document of accomplishments. Um, These are my favorite. So number one is, and I had something to do with at least one of them. Um, <laughs> i invested. So number one is, is the Recovery Act. Um, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act funded 15,000 AmeriCorps members to serve in economically distressed communities. So our Recovery Act AmeriCorps members are providing job placement and financial counseling services. They're helping prevent foreclosures. Um, they're weatherizing homes, strengthening food banks. Expanding health and independent living services, and again, recruiting additional volunteers to, to work in, in that realm. Second is the Edward M. Kennedy Serve America Act, um, which is this huge, sweeping legislation um, on April 21st that President Obama signed into law with strong bipartisan support. I think that's what gives it its heft. The Serve America Act reauthorizes and expands the mission of the corporation by doing the following. Um, It sets sets AmeriCorps on a path from 75,000 positions that we have currently to 250,000 by 2017. It's a huge, huge increase. And it focuses their efforts on some of our national priorities, so areas of education, health, clean energy, veterans, and economic opportunity. Um, The Serve America Act also creates a social innovation fund, which Margaret referenced. Um, And the idea of the social innovation fund is to expand proven initiatives um, and also provide seed money for new initiatives and and really leverage federal dollars with private money to grow ideas that that are addressing some of the most intractable community problems across the country. Third, um, the Serve America Act establishes a volunteer generation fund, which is a great idea. It will award grants to states and nonprofits to recruit and manage and support volunteers and strengthen the nation's volunteer infrastructure. And then lastly, in the Serve America Act, it authorizes um, a nonprofit capacity building fund, which will provide um, organizational development assistance to nonprofits cross-country. So that's the, the second big accomplishment and it's huge, uh, the Serve America Act. And there are a lot a lot of other provisions. Um, so if you guys are particularly interested in that piece of legislation, you can find all sorts of information at nationalservice.gov. So third is United We Serve. Have you has anyone heard of United We Serve? That might be sick. <laughs> Good. A few of you. So the corporation worked closely with the White House this summer to develop this initiative. And it's really it's the president's national call to service, so he's asking that um, Americans from all walks of life serve in uh, their communities in sustainable and impactful ways. We launched a new website actually called Serve.gov, uh, which enables people to search for local volunteer opportunities. It's really cool. All you have to do is is go type in your zip code and your area of interest, and it links you to a, a database that has hundreds of thousands of volunteer opportunities, and that's how you can get plugged into to local efforts and see what's happening um, right around you. So I encourage you guys to go there. It also has um, a lot of resources and tools for helping you develop your own service projects um, and to promote them, and then also to share your stories of service. So the, the fourth, my end four big accomplishment I think for us this year is our historic budget. So 2009 came to a close with President Obama signing a a fiscal year 2010 budget that provides nearly $1.2 billion for the corporation and its programs. That's the biggest increase and the largest budget in our agency's history. So with the strong leadership of President Obama and also the First Lady, she's been very much involved in our efforts over the past year as well as bipartisan support from Congress, I think that you know, we're poised for even greater success and progress as we move forward. All to say that this is truly an extraordinary moment in time. There is wide recognition that service isn't simply a nice thing to do. It's actually critical to the ongoing work of restoring our nation, especially in times of great need like these. When President Obama signed the Serve America Act, he said it like this, and he was speaking directly to you, to me, to all of us. We need your service right now, at this moment in history. I'm not going to tell you what your role should be. That's for you to discover. But I'm asking you to stand up and play your part. I'm asking you to help change history's course, put your shoulder up against the wheel. And if you do, I promise you your life will be richer, Our country will be stronger, and someday, years from now, you may remember it as the moment when your story and the American story converged, when they came together and we met the challenges of our new century. You know, as I was preparing my remarks, I tried to step back into your shoes, put myself where you are right now, just for a little while. You know, I remember asking myself, when I was in, in college, starting to ask some of the really big questions um, and, and I was pondering my place in the world. Um, it wasn't actually that long ago, <laughs> but to be perfectly honest, it's, it's still an exercise that I engage in day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. What is my calling? What am I called to do and how do I honor that calling? There are times when I feel like I'm on the right path, a clearly marked path. And then there are times when I feel completely and utterly disoriented. More often than not, the latter happens when I forget to seek balance in my life, uh, to work with urgency and passion on the one hand, um, but also to rest and rejuvenate on the other, to take care of myself, to tend to the people I love most, to go for a swim, to read a book. In the midst of serving others, and I know that you all do this day in and day out, we must remember to slow down and nourish ourselves or risk burning out. We can't let our calling consume us. Every now and again, however, something else might set us adrift and pluck us off our path. I very recently learned that every now and again, something might happen in our lives that is so unexpected, so unimaginable, and so heartbreaking that it leaves us as it left me spinning with absolutely no sense of purpose or direction. Just six months ago, my dad died in a bicycle accident one week before he was supposed to move to Washington, D.C. I've been struggling ever since uh, to locate my internal compass. I know it's in there, and it's beginning to point the way again, and I'm finding my footing once more. But I share this with you because at 32, I'm just now starting to realize how very long the road is and how hard. We're all bound to get knocked around a time or two. I'm sure many of you already have. But I firmly believe that if you cultivate a path that is true to your calling, there is always going to be plenty of room for you to take big risks and make big mistakes, to go this way and then that, to persevere and to triumph. So keep on. Don't let yourself be daunted. Um, We have a lot of work to do out there in the world. You guys are part of a long and rich Holy Cross tradition of pursuing service and social justice for the greater good of society. As Dorothy Day reminds us, People say, what is the sense of our small effort? They cannot see that we must lay one brick at a time, take just one step at a time. A pebble cast into a pond causes ripples that spread in all directions. Each one of our thoughts, our words, and our deeds is like that. No one has a right to sit down and feel hopeless. There's much too much work to do. So here's to our journey, to yours, one courageous step at a time. Thank you, guys. Um, So I'm more than happy to take your questions. If you want to know more about the corporation, about what I do as a White House liaison, about the campaign, So what do I do as a White House liaison? There is actually a White House liaison assigned to every federal agency across the administration, and their job is very different than mine. Um, We are a really small agency, and we actually have our own personnel system. So a lot of what we do is is different. It doesn't quite correspond. But other White House liaisons spend their time um, ushering in President Obama's new political appointees. So, you know, top-level senior officials and, um, and other special assistants. Uh, there are hundreds of, and, and thousands of folks across the administration. So their job is to work with the White House to come up with a slate of candidates, to reach out to people, to interview them, to bring them on, and then to keep them. Um, I do a little bit of that, but we just, we don't even have that many political appointees in my agency. so. I've been able to really dig into the work, Um, and I, I, you know, looking back over nearly the last year, I've I've done a lot of different things, but most of my work has revolved around three big projects. One, right after the Serve America Act was signed into law, we, I organized um, a national listening tour. So we went to six different cities across the country, cities and towns in rural and urban areas. Um, And we gathered public input into how to best implement this legislation. So that was my my first big project. And and my second was developing and launching and implementing this United We Serve initiative, which is exciting. We got to, you know, bring on a a small team of summer staff um, and develop an outreach plan. And we actually engaged over 400 national organizations, a lot of folks who we'd never engaged before. Um, and just thousands of faith-based and, and community-based organizations across the country. Um, and we had a lot of fun with it. We, a lot of celebrities were involved um, in promoting United We Serve and um, inspiring others to act. Did anybody watch the um, the All-Star Game in St. Louis back in, was that June or July? So um, we had a big ad, and um, the president, you, do you remember the video with all the living presidents talking about service and driving people to serve.gov. So it was a, it was a, a great project, and I was um, involved in that every step of the way. And then the third uh, big project is the president has nominated a man named Patrick Corvington to be our new director. Um, his confirmation is pending in the Senate right now, uh, but we have been very busy, and I've been working with uh, our senior leadership to you know, put together our first 100 days plan and to, to make sure he has the information that he needs about our agency before he comes on board. And it's been a really interesting process in working, you know, with Congress. So those are the three big projects that, that I've been involved with at the corporation, and lots of, lots of other things in between. It was the, the work I was doing in the community. Um, you know, I knew that I wanted to continue to do that kind of work after college. Um, I didn't necessarily know that much about AmeriCorps. I, I don't even remember how the opportunity, like the, the application even came my way, but Dwight Giles, who's in the back, is actually one of the pioneers in the field of service learning, and he was at Vanderbilt at that time, and we were working hard to um, institutionalize service learning on our campus um, and get faculty and uh, you know high-level administration buy-in. And I just wanted to continue that work and, and I thought that um, you know, the position description through Massachusetts Campus Compact um, was just perfect because it would allow me, first of all, to still pretend like I was still in college because <laughs> I'd be on campus and surrounded by young people. But to, you know, to, to help institutionalize something that would get more students and more faculty members engaged in their own community and tear down some of those walls that exist between campus and community, and really open up people's eyes to the pressing issues right where they were, where we are. Um, so I, I don't know that there was like any special aha moment. It, it was kind of a, a progression and um, that I somehow learned about the opportunity. And then crazy Dwight Giles ended up coming to, not crazy Dwight Giles, crazy that Dwight Giles. <laughs> He ended up, um, at the at the same time, um, accepting a, a position at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. So we got to travel there together, which was kind of cool, continue our work. You know, I met up with Lauren for coffee before um, coming here for this talk. And, it, you know, I, I've always kind of struggled with whether I want to work on a, a micro level, you know, and do direct service and, and really build relationships with people um, and know their daily struggles um, in a very real way. So that on the one hand, and, and then working at the macro level on the other, right? So working for institutional and structural change and really addressing the root causes of of social problems. And I think there's there's this gap between the two. And as i was saying lauren'm i 'm always trying to figure out what role I can play in that gap because you know I, I think that that people who are in halls of power and whether that 's in city hall or in state legislature or in the White House are very well intentioned um, and have very good ideas and i think it's it 's easy to get disconnected so i you know i 'm not sure what that what that role is, but i I think there's very much we need both happening, and we we need to find more and, and better places to intersect our work because you you have to have both. And and I think um, there there needs to be more translation, you know, between the, the folks who are who are doing policy and really affecting change on a, a large scale with with the folks who are on the ground, not only experiencing issues but working on those issues, um, and and vice versa. You know, I think you you know. I noticed in the, in the service world, you get so focused on what you're doing day by day that you lose sight of the big picture and how to make big change. So, I don't have a real answer except that I, I think that it, that answer is somewhere in, the in between. Our, our Learn and Serve program definitely incorporates the, the reflection, the learning piece into the service that you know, mostly students are doing through those grants. Um, and our, our other programs, AmeriCorps and Senior Corps, it's, it's less structured. Um, it's certainly promoted, and I think it depends on the program, how well it's integrated into people's experiences. And as for, you know, the outside of our core programs, the folks who we're, um, you know, drawing to serve.gov, um, the people who may or may not have a year of their lives to to commit but have an hour once a week or a full weekend every now and again, how do we make sure that they're involved in activities that, again, are sustainable and impactful. And not, not sustainable and that the problems are perpetuated, but sustainable in a way that are addressing root causes, right? So I think it's something, it's a great question, um, and I think it's an issue that we still have a lot of work to do in, in figuring out how to get people plugged in. And, you know, I think that folks only stay involved and invested when they really can see the bigger picture and understand how what they're doing um, is making a, a difference, and, and really addressing some of the the causes of the problems that they're they're seeing. Um, so it's it's a great area for us to to start to focus more on, as we've now launched this initiative and we want to keep people engaged. We have uh, like something like 15 toolkits on Serve.gov um, that kind of walk folks through the steps of identifying. Um, you know, an an area of need in their own communities, partnering with local organizations, mobilizing their friends and their family and their neighbors, and then actually, you know, staying involved in in a way that makes a difference. And I think that that might be a good place, too, to just make sure people have those tools to ask the right questions and and to to get involved in in other ways in their community beyond direct service, right? Well, do do most of you know how the president, like his story... Um, yeah, so he uh, he was a community organizer, um, and he worked uh, with congregations in, in Chicago on the South Side of Chicago, and um, you know worked with folks to address their most pressing needs, so housing and jobs, after school programs, childcare, and I think that you know the the lesson that he learned is that it's a it's a collective and an ongoing effort. Um, and I think he said it best last night. Did you all watch the State of the Union, most of you? So at the end of his speech where, you know, he said again, I never said this was going to be easy. Um, and I never said I could do it on my own. And he he very much believes that, <laughs> um, that we all have to be in this together. Um, and that, you know, just just voting him into office or anybody into office that you believe in isn't enough. Uh, you have to remain engaged in those issues on a local level um, and continue to, to push for change. So, I don't know, if that, does that get to your question? I, you know, I was, I was inspired um, by him because, you know, I, I had been doing very similar work in my young life and, um, and, and I, you know, to, to go back to where Dwight's question, um, about that kind of in-between place, you know, I I saw the opportunity to really bridge those two worlds, you know, what's happening in in local communities across the country um, and what's happening um, on on the national level in D.C. So that's why I decided to to join that campaign. Thank you guys very much. (laughs)